Let me put it in the old computer. No, I'm serious about this. The computer don't lie. Now. Let's see. What? It says... It says you're a dead fuck. What? A dead fuck? A lousy lay. You know? Dead... Oh, I see. Oh, don't hold it back for me, Doc. I can take it. Give it to me straight. I did not say it. The computer did. Yeah, well, there is no computer. Aha! Uh -huh. There's no Betty, either. God, I'm 40. Welcome to Pumpkin Spice Podcast. It's a seasonal artisanal treat for fans of horror films. Isn't that right, Graham? That is correct, Rob. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Pretty good. Stumbled a little bit on that intro, but you know what? That's just, I'm just being human. Exactly. And we have a lot to be excited about. This is personally my favorite episode. Now, Rob, you're going through this series for the first time. So far, one through four, where does this rank for you? I didn't really, like, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's it was fun, but something about it felt a little bit off that I hadn't felt before in a Friday the 13th movie, and I think I know why. I would be so excited if someone handed me some money and said, make a horror film. And, sure. I, and my young self would think the same thing. And as I keep watching these movies, something that you've repeated in each one of these episodes just keeps becoming more clear that these are cash grab films. And it's like, yeah, of course, there's not going to be as exciting as I'd like them to be because there's no incentive to put any sort of extra effort into it. Okay, so you think that this is a film that's sort of uh, by the numbers and doesn't present anything new in the series? You have more household names and it becomes fun on that side. But now you're like, oh, they have the money to get a little bit better known people. I know what you're saying, that they basically, I think that the talent both behind and in front of the camera on this film um, really sort of elevates the quality of the film overall. But I understand what you're saying in the sense that it really doesn't progress anywhere, where it's still kind of the same old thing where we introduce the kids and we kill the kids. But I would argue that this is one of the only Friday the 13th films where you actually give a shit about the characters. Okay, I will agree with that. And I think you're right about production levels. Like, this was a much better behind-the-camera movie. Sure, and Tom Savini returned. Um, he hadn't worked uh, with the series. I don't. I think the last time he worked with the series was the first film, so he's back again. And uh, for those who haven't seen the film, Corey Feldman plays sort of a young... Um, creature effects kind of guy. And I always pictured that as sort of the young Tom Savini uh, <laughs> played by Corey Feldman. <laughs> uh, by, by a young Corey Feldman. Uh, he's like, what? how old would you say Corey Feldman is in this movie? I don't know, 13 maybe. Um, we're not expert folks. We're just a couple of talking heads. Are we supposed to believe that Corey Feldman actually has the means to make all of those puppets? 
basically you're seeing Tom Savini's like best work, his best creature designs, and they're hanging in Corey Feldman's room. And we're supposed to believe that Corey Feldman, this 12 year old kid, uh, made these creature effects. And it's totally sort of unbelievable. But for me, the Corey Feldman character, uh, the creature effects kid, sort of reveals the passion of the filmmaker's love of horror films and all things creatures and and monsters and all that kind of stuff. So for me, it worked, and I thought it was rather charming. Now, as much as it's cookie cutter, I think it's odd that, like, there's no reference to a camp at all, and a lot of deaths happen during the day. Yes, that's true. Um, There's also the stunt work in this film is unbelievable i mean it really should have been nominated for an academy award as far as stunts go but the academy doesn't recognize stunts which i think is total horseshit and uh hopefully uh the academy will someday and this deserves a uh give me an example when one of the twins is um staring out a window and is grabbed by jason and thrown out the window onto a car that alone is an unbelievable stunt. There's a lot of scenes with characters being thrown out of a window. Um, also, the final girl, which is um, Corey Feldman's sister, jumps out of a window and lands like on her back on the ground. Um, and it's a terrific stunt. But um, again, I think there's a lot of talent both behind and in front of the camera on this film, which really makes this film in particular stand out. Another thing that stands out, though, and I'd love to know your thoughts on this as a professional filmmaker. Yeah, there, sure. There was almost zero. I don't really remember many POV shots. Yeah, this is not a a, a whodunit film anymore. Uh, we are very much aware that Jason is the killer. So I don't know if the. I guess the filmmakers felt that they didn't need uh, a lot of POV shots uh, for the film. You know what we haven't done yet is that 30-second synopsis. Okay, I'll see if I can do it in 30 seconds or less. Okay. Um, It's a little bit different than our previous film, so I'll do my best. Is the timer Uh, on yet? I don't know. Give me the go, and I'll start. Okay, and go. So this film has, like, two groups of people that Jason is stalking. We have the Tommy Jarvis family in a cabin, and then we also have some kids visiting Camp Crystal Lake, and they're wanting to party, and the Crispin Glover character is very adamant on getting laid, and uh, Jason kills everybody except for Tommy Jarvis, who becomes sort of a main character in, the, in this film and the next two films. Ding, ding. Sounds about right. Okay, Um, I did my best there. Yeah, I think the other time you... I think this was the best yet, is what I'm trying to say. Congratulations, Graham. Uh, Thank you. What do I win? Um, I get to watch part five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Aren't you giddy? Yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so here's something. I want to have a specific section in today's episode for Crispin Glover and Corey Feldman. So those two actors and characters aside... Um, Did anyone really stand out to you in this one? Because there was certainly some characters. Absolutely. Uh, There's an actress by the name of Judy Arison. Um, Rob, I don't know if you recognize her from Weird Science. Yeah. Um, She was also in uh, a really great movie from 1985 called American Ninja. Um, But she plays Samantha 
in Friday the 13th, uh, the final chapter, which how hilarious is that title? Because we are far from the end of this series. Um, but I, th- I always liked her as an actress. I think, I think she always delivers really strong performances and Friday the 13th, the final chapter is no exception. She does a really, really good job. Something that really stuck out to me and we can merge this with a kill or whatever is was the overweight hippie eating the banana that got killed at like 11 a.m. Was that like a political statement of some sort that I'm not getting or what? I'd like for you to go a little bit more into uh, what you feel the politics of that scene uh, was. But for me, it was just sort of setting up that um, here we go again. Jason's this ruthless killer. And it doesn't matter if you've had sex or have done drugs recently. Um, you're just going to die. I mean, he's just this killing machine. Um, I do love the fact that or I thought it was funny that as she's being stabbed through the throat, uh, she squeezes the banana and it comes out of her hand. Yeah. Um, but um, but no, I'm kind of with you, Rob. I really don't know what to make of that scene. Um, it was just a character that we had like a five second introduction before she was murdered. So to, just to clear it up, she was hitchhiking and holding up a sign that said, like, peace, I can't remember what it said, but it was a very uh, pleasant sign about hitchhiking. And then when the person, like, honked at her and didn't pick her up, she flipped the sign around and it said, fuck you. Okay, so let's go into that. Rob, what are the, what you think the filmmaker's political motivations of that scene? I think they're just making fun of the idea of people that want everything to be happy-go-lucky and peaceful, but the moment uh, the slightest thing is against that, they turn to anger. Wow. That's just what it looked like to me. I think you're onto something there for sure. I've never really thought much of that scene besides, wow, that's a, a, you know, it's pretty weird to introduce a character only to kill that person five seconds later. I, I have a feeling that like there was a very extreme interaction in Los Angeles at some sort of health food store that uh, probably led to that scene being in the movie. How about the mortician guy that's oh, watching fuck that, the, dude. the uh, butt workout video? Yeah, and like commenting on how dead bodies are attractive. Yeah, and like, He's kind of like this older kind of guy, and he's not like unattractive. He's just kind of geeky and older. And uh, boy, do the ladies love him. Yeah, for whatever reason, this, I don't know, just human scab has uh, like a libido that cannot be quenched and then tries to get with a nurse who kicks him away. And then for some reason she just changes her mind and then he becomes a creep even more and she leaves and then Jason takes a bone saw to his neck. Yeah, kind of a cool, uh, kind of a cool scene. But uh, I remember as a kid, like, gosh, where do you get that butt workout tape? <laughs> that's, that's the movie. <laughs> that's the movie I want to watch next. Rob, if you ever stumble across that in New York City, let me know. I'd be very interested. I am prepared to make you an offer if you find it. Interesting trades considered. Yeah, there you go. Um, okay, so let's jump into. I think Crispin Glover first. I take it away, Graham. 
Well, I think probably most people are familiar with Crispin Glover through the Back to the Future films. I shouldn't say films. I should probably just say film because he was only in the first one. Um, but um, I think he's one of the greatest actors of his generation. Um, his performance in The River's Edge alone is absolutely amazing. If you haven't seen that film, please check it out. It's a total recommendation. Uh, a great, great film. Um, but yeah, just the way he approaches uh, his characters is, is kind of off the beaten path and, and uh, kind of a, and a unique approach to all of his characters. Well, what's his nickname again? I can't the remember. The guy keeps calling him like a dead fuck. And oh, yes. So, like, the only way that he can prove his worth in this movie is if he has sex and has sex well, which is, I mean, it leads to a particularly great dancing scene, but a terrible character arc. Five seconds after he wows the woman of his dreams, he's, a, he's you know, immediately murdered. But, Rob, let's go into this dancing scene. Um, is this the first time that you witnessed Crispin Glover dance? I had seen the clip on the internet previously. And, okay. But each time you see it, you know, it's someone puts a different song in there. So this was the sure. first time, like, seeing it raw. Um, gotcha. Yeah, it's it's an absolutely amazing scene. It kind of goes back to the way Crispin approaches these characters. And I think it's just a phenomenal scene. It's hard to explain. Just the other characters' reactions to the dance also is uh, pretty awesome. I equate it to a mix between Elaine's dance in Seinfeld and David Brent's dance in uh, the British office with the speed turned up. Oh, Rob, I, that's a great... Uh, yeah, I, I totally... I get that. I see that. Yeah, that's great. Um, let's go into Corey Feldman, because this is a, a legacy character now, Tommy Jarvis. Yeah, um, for, the next, for this film and the next two films, Tommy Jarvis will play a significant role um, in the series, but he's played by three different actors, um, and we first see him as a child, and he's played by Corey Feldman. And Corey Feldman is this sort of um, amazing special effects whiz and uh, sort of kind of obsessed with horror films. And how ironic that he happens to live next door to Jason. I find it odd that there's only like two houses on the block and it's, you know, within a some sort of Jason distance. Like, I don't know how big this lake is. And it's so confusing. Yeah, the location. Yeah, I agree, Rob. It is kind of confusing. But, but what um, makes Tommy Jarvis special? What makes Tommy Jarvis special? Yeah, why well, is he going to be in the next couple of movies? Tell me what, like, all I really got out of this is he had some weird connection where he wanted to really hack away at Jason when he pretended to be young Jason. True. Um, well, as far as its significance in the series, we rarely see children. Now, we see teenagers, but we rarely see a, a children in the series. So I think Tommy Jarvis, played by Corey Feldman, is um, significant in this film because of that. But also, this was supposed to be the final chapter. So it is Tommy Jarvis, played by Corey Feldman, that, that uh, kills Jason in the end. They end with a close-up on his face and it looks like he's gone from normal child to I've seen some shit and I am now here to fight. 
Okay, you're talking about when he shaves his head? He shaves his head to play a ruse on Jason to act like young Jason, which doesn't really make sense. And then at the end, they're like carrying him away, and it's like close up on his face, freeze frame. I am now determined, and my face is in stone. Okay, so that's probably why I think that Tommy Jarvis has a little bit more significance in the series because I think it was sort of Jason passing the torch to this character that Tommy Jarvis was going to take up the killings after Jason's uh, death. Speaking of, there was a guy hunting Jason in this movie. Why? That's right. Um, For fame? Yeah, but like they allude to he's... You know, he's mistaken as Jason in a couple of scenes, and he won't ever say that he's out trying to find a guy who's killed over 20 people in one weekend. Um, Yes, this this is Sunday, by the way. So, like, first of all, he found out really quick because he's not from around there, and now he's hunting him, but he won't come out and say it. I I have no idea. Um, A weird B storyline that probably got hacked to pieces. Yeah, maybe there's some more uh, story on the cutting room floor of the Jason Hunter. Um, but yeah, it's kind of left unclear. Uh, as if far anyone as- has access to that material, please, pumpkin spice podcast at gmail.com. Yes, we are prepared to make an offer for that footage. And while you're at it, if you don't want to email us, why don't you leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts? Because it doesn't cost a thing. And uh, it really helps our awareness. You know, Graham, I noticed there's another podcast now called Pumpkin Spice Thrillers. And what? Yeah. I looked at it, and it's Talented Mr. Ripley is episode one, and the whole idea is basic horror movies. So, like, horror movies like Swim Fan and things like that. And you know what? More power to them. I'm sure they're going to be fine. But uh, it is not the same setup as our show. So, at least there's... well. That. And any real cinephile knows that The Talented Mr. Ripley is okay, but it's a remake of a film called Purple Noon. It's a French film, and it's one of the best thrillers of the 1960s from France. So watch that one instead. Maybe they bring that up. I think the whole idea is that these are movies, simple movies for simple people sort of thing. You know what I I mean? I gotcha. People listening to this show know what we do. That's uh, I just want to say more power to you, but I know that you wanted the name of this podcast and had to settle on Pumpkin Spice Thrillers. So I apologize for that. Let's both support each other. Here's our shout out to your show. And maybe they'll give a shout out to ours. We'll see how this works out. We're, we're either going to be uh, friends or mortal enemies with this uh, other podcast. So I'm we'll going to go with I'm going to go with uh, enemies because that's what will sell. Gotcha. And I would say if we are uh, friends with these guys, it would be begrudgingly. Yeah, because we have to for the cameras. Okay, let's get to the Jason tally. Oh, okay, gotcha. You ready for this? Let's do it. I keep adding to it. Whenever you send me things, I add that to it as well. Okay, I'm going to try and do it as quick as possible. Okay. uh, All right. He survived alone since childhood, somehow. Can build sophisticated structures. Can travel some amount of distance. Killed Alice. Remember all of that? One to two? Yes. Okay. Quiet like a cat. 
good at aiming harpoons, not good at aiming hammers, as we see in this film. He's strong enough to survive a 15-foot hanging by the neck. He can withstand an axe to the head, now that he's alive in this one. Uh, He has the ability to move without notice underwater. Multiple face smushes. It's like his thing. He likes to squish people's face. And, uh, I don't know, a penchant for head wounds may come up later. Uh, Thick skin, because he took a machete to the chest. Uh, We know he's self-conscious about his looks, and that's why he wears the mask. And he has a weakness for mom and apparently his younger self. What's that about? We find that out in this movie. And uh, like I said earlier... Within this weekend alone, he's killed over like 20 people and he shows no remorse. Yeah, the whole connection to the mom is real uh, Freudian, if you will, Rob. I'm afraid of that synopsis, Graham. Anyway, um, but yeah, uh, Jason is able to uh, take a licking and keep on ticking. And uh, this is uh, definitely a great example of that. I personally think that the last 20 minutes of this film is spectacular. You know what? It was a nonstop thrill ride from start to finish. Yeah, and that's a, what a lot of the previous films can't say. I mean, this holds your attention from the beginning to end. Here's the thing. I started off this podcast saying how much it made me feel different, and I don't think that I've really changed my mind, but something about the first and second one, not so much the third one, I don't know, really felt a little more raw. And although I see that they're trying to get a little bit more deep, not necessarily my thing. I gotcha. So, let me ask you again. Uh, parts one through four, what is your favorite? Mm, probably two. Really? Yeah, because you get a little throwback to one, and like it's always fun because you, you're always going to find someone that's never seen it. Gotcha. I, I do absolutely love the beginning to part four where they're sitting around the campfire and I kind of do a, um, flashbacks to the previous films. Like they do. Yeah, they do that all. the Yeah, it's it's kind of a staple of the series, but I think it's uh, really well done in this episode. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit long, but and let's just this is us going into final thoughts, but. I thought it was a little long, and I thought it was weird that they're just talking about Jason now, like in part two, um, but they showed kills that like his mom had done. So, sure. So that was a little confusing. Not really confusing, I just think lazy. And well, not to mention that they're talking about Jason like he's some legend when the murders happened like yesterday and the day before. Well, and that campfire scene was from the second one. Remember, uh, and like, that's when that's I was right. because I was telling you, it's like, he knows a surprisingly a lot about this, like, legend of Jason that are actually all facts that happened within yesterday and that came to light the day before. Sure. What a weirdo. Yeah, really. You know, one thing that I was thinking on my, like, final thoughts that I didn't really bring up earlier was, um, this was the first one that really did latch along more to the, like, have sex and die cliche that a lot of people talk about. Sure. Um, But I think you said it right. Like, at least they set it up where, like, this random hippie gets killed at the beginning, so you still, like, don't know that, like, what is driving him, even though you have this, like, general idea. 
there there are patterns to sort of motivations for uh, Jason's killings, but like like you said, the the hitchhiker doesn't follow any of the uh, patterns set for the rest of the series. I guess what's what I'm trying to say. Well, Graham, I think this has been a fantastic episode, but I have to say before we get off of here in this recording, um, people really liked that Mel Gibson rant. Oh, really? Graham, I would like to propose that at the end of each episode, at least for season two, we introduce the Mel Gibson moment. And it's your time to shine, and you can say whatever you want with the general idea of Mel Gibson involved. And it's it's hard to mention Mel Gibson without talking about his infamous uh, The Passion of the Christ. And I actually have... Uh, the best story ever when it comes to that uh, particular film, Rob. Um, I was uh, in college uh, my freshman year at uh, Fort Hayes State in uh, Kansas. I I later went to KU. But um, so my roommate and I were living in this house and we get a knock on the door that our next door neighbors that just happened to be two nuns um, had accidentally run into my car. And so I took a look out at my car and it was perfectly fine. There was no damage done, but they felt terrible about running into my car. And I said, you know, just forget it. There's no damage done. We're all good here. And they kept talking about how how bad they felt. And they offered us uh, tickets to go with their church group uh, to a (laughs) sneak preview of The Passion of the Christ um, now, in full disclosure, I'm not a religious person whatsoever. And um, also, it's I should reveal that um, both my roommate and I um, had the day off, so we've been drinking all day. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we ended up going to the sneak preview of uh, The Passion of the Christ. I, I remember just being so appalled at the anti-Semitism in the film. Uh, not to mention, it's just a really bad movie. Uh, it's 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 not very well made. Uh, there's the, the devil has jump scares. I mean, it's just so pathetic. And um, when the when the credits started to roll at the end of the film, all you heard was <laughs> like people just crying and sobbing in the theater. And my roommate and I were just like, oh, God, what did we get ourselves into? And so uh, they had a discussion in the lobby about the film, but we ran out before <laughs> before we could uh, participate in that. Uh, I think that would have just blown our minds. But yeah, it was an interesting experience to say the least. And that um, I never liked Mel Gibson with the exceptions of like, I, I love uh, uh, the Mad Max series, not particularly because of him, just because of uh, George Miller's work. I'll just say this uh, to sum up my feelings on Mel Gibson. I, I think he's a huge uh, jerk, misogynist, racist, uh, anti-Semitic fool. Um, and Mel, again, I would love to cure you of that. We could ha- sit down and have a talk and and talk about life. And I think we could really make some progress on um, on your uh, behavior and beliefs. You're, you're just a nut job. But I'm not going to be negative when we talk. I'll, I'll be positive. But I think I can help you. I think I can help you become a better human being. And with that, this has been another episode of Pumpkin Spice Podcast. Uh, tune in next week. We're going to keep hitting this series. Right, Graham? 
Yes, and I'll just say this real quickly. Although number four is my absolute favorite, um, five is a darn good film. In fact, my favorites are probably four, five, and seven. So again, something to look forward to for uh, the next episode. Yeah, and don't forget they put the uh, knock and the hockey mask on the wrong side on the DVD cover. Oh, how... The, the fools. I think the VHS cover too. Anyway, see you next week. All right. Have a good one.